Well, good morning to you all. Uh, it's, a, it's always an honor to be able to teach God's Word, whether it's here or sometimes when I'm not here, I actually cover for other pastors in the valley. That's one of the blessings that I have of being the chaplain at the Christian Aid Center is, is sometimes I get to teach at other churches and not only there, but I also teach out at the Washington State Penitentiary. I want to take a moment to say thank you for everyone who uh, either gives or gives financially or donates or cooks or comes over and does ministry at the rescue mission. That's a true blessing. It's been a real blessing. I know this church has been involved for a lot of years, but it just seems like there's been an increase and an influx of people showing up. And I want you to know that uh, that is a blessing to our guests beyond measure. There's a core group of people that come out every single week, and it's been amazing to see that actually happen. Because oftentimes in rescue mission, believe it or not, we've got people that want to want to do the the stuff that like the the serving and all that. But to walk alongside brokenness is a whole different story. It can be quite challenging, uh, but also it, it is actually really really rewarding because what you find out is you too have some brokenness. And, uh, you know, here in the next few weeks, actually, we're going to be uh, doing a presentation here at this church and, in fact, throughout the valley. I'm, I'm going to stop there because if I go, I'm going to give you the presentation. So we are going to be in uh, Luke chapter 4, or chapter 5. We're going to start off uh, in chapter 4, verses 43. But before we do so, let us go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, Thank you, God, that we can come together collectively, corporately, Father God, to worship you in spirit and in truth, Lord. Thank you, Father God, that your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. We would welcome you here now, Lord, uh, to do a work in our hearts, Father God. And, And Lord, as I've prayed and many of us have prayed in times past, Lord, this exercise would be vanity if it did not produce change in our lives. So, Lord, show up in a special way this day. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Matt and I have been talking about this particular text for a while, and, and you know, it just so happened that, that he gave me the go-ahead, and, you know, I've been really blessed. I'm a person who, when I study Scripture, sometimes I'll actually study portions of Scriptures for months at a time. I can remember one time spending three months actually on the prodigal son, trying to learn everything that I could learn about that particular story, and not just that story, but the historical and cultural analysis of really what's going on behind the scenes. I'm going to try to try to do a exegesis in such a way that you, could, you might be able to understand a little bit more about the culture of this time. Um, I think my training for that uh, you know, when I paid all that money to go to seminary, and, and I'm not bringing that up because of, wow, this guy went to the seminary. Trust me, I'm not. But sometimes I look back over my schooling, and sometimes I question, and I go, what was this for? What was this for? And I know that education uh, produces uh, character-building experiences that oftentimes can't happen, or they do happen, but oftentimes throughout life. And um, I, I'm very grateful for my time there. When I went to the seminary, to be honest with you, I was extremely challenged because the group of men that I was in the seminary with had been senior pastors uh, shepherding very large churches for a number of years. 
And here I am in leadership at this small little Calvary Chapel, and um, I was really, really intimidated. But, you know, when we come before the Lord with a humble heart and we have a teachable spirit, we're able to glean things. And that's oftentimes my prayer, not only for myself, but for you as, as the body here at Christ Community Fellowship, is for humility and teachability. Uh, not only that, but for contrition. And so let us open the text. So l- let me read through uh, f- chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Uh, but I want to back up and go back to uh, chapter 4, verse 43. So it was, verse 1, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your, wor- at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. They caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners and in the, in the, in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all. And they followed him. They followed him. That story always speaks loudly to my heart because when I look back over my life, I can't honestly say that when the Lord found me, you know, I I never found the Lord that I initially forsook everything and followed him. I can't say that. For me, it was a long process of being broken. Um, In fact, uh, in the book of Hebrews, I believe, not Hebrews, but in Psalms fifty-one seventeen, it says that the sacrifices of God are a broken, and spirit, broken spirit and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. That word broken there in, in the Hebrew language actually means to be completely shattered. If I teach again, you're going to probably hear me talk about that scripture over and over and over because there was a time in my own personal life that I had a lot of knowledge In fact, I could even preach, okay? But the word of God had not gone into my heart, and that's where that true transformation happens. And so we see where Jesus shows up in the midst of of the fishermen's lives where they have the most expertise at. I look at this text, and, 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 and if, if anybody knows, there's, there's a lot of, lot of fishing terminology through the Word of God, and there's a couple other stories. One is in Mark 1, 16 through 20, uh, Matthew 4, 18 through 22, and in those two particular stories, it's talking about Jesus showing up again, but when Jesus shows up, 
the boys, by the way, I might refer to the fishermen as the boys or the disciple as the boys. I just want to preface that. The boys were actually out fishing and they were casting their nets. Okay. Some scholars believe that this particular occasion is not the same as those. You'll have to dig into the word of God to find out. Personally, I don't believe it's the same, and I'll tell you why. Because in this particular story, they were washing their nets. And that's a big difference, especially when you look up the terminology in the Greek language. And I'm not going to labor on that, but the reality of it is, is I do not believe they're the same time. And I say that because in my life, when Jesus kept showing up, it took a long time for me to come to that place of complete surrender to his lordship, you know? You know, when we come to him, we, we, we receive him as Lord and Savior, but oftentimes some of us, and maybe nobody in here can identify, we just kind of say, well, I'm saved, I'm cool, and I can go about my business and live the way I want to live. And that's not coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He wants to change our lives. In the text, it says, in verse 1, it says, So it was, was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Nazareth. So we have to ask, well, what, what was Jesus saying? And, and it was the word of God in flesh, right? So when we look above, okay, we got to look at the context. We can almost, uh, not assume, but we can almost, hmm, I believe, let me say it like that. I believe that this is what Jesus was preaching. Let's go up to verse 43 in chapter 4. In fact, let's go to 42. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent And he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Now we go into verse 1. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now we know that Peter was first called. If you go into John chapter 1, you don't need to go there. John chapter 1, 35 through 42 is when Peter was first called, actually. We also know what's intriguing about this particular story is, is... Jesus, after the resurrection, comes back a second time and does the exact same thing if you were to go into John 21 that he does here. Only Peter's response is different. It's not the same response, which obviously is an indication of transformation in his life. Okay? Notice that the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. Now, I don't know about you folks, but that really speaks to my heart. Because am I pressing about him all the time to hear the word of God? And this word pressed actually, actually means to, to almost crush. So he didn't have an option but to go out onto the sea and teach. And by the way, we're going to see two different sermon styles here. One is he gives a public sermon, but then we're going to see that he gives a private sermon to Peter, Simon Peter, Simon Peter. I want to take a moment out because when I discovered this in my own studies, I was kind of awestruck. If we see, we see Jesus up here in 43, he's preaching, 
But when we go down a short time back down into verse 3 at the end, it says, and he sat down and he taught the multitude from the boat. So I don't know about everybody here, but for years in my walk with the Lord, I thought preaching and teaching was the same thing. And it's not. It's actually not. The Greek word for preach is the Greek word euangelizo, okay? And it actually basically means to bring the good news, to announce glad tidings. It means to instruct men concerning the things that pertain to Christian salvation. But when we look at the word taught or teach, it is actually the Greek word didasko, which we actually, when we talk about doctrine, the Greek word is the Greek word for doctrine is actually didaskaleia. And what's interesting is this, is to teach, is, it means this, it means to hold discourse with others in order to instruct them. Okay? Deliver didactic discourses. To be a teacher. To teach. It keeps going. Here we go. To impart instruction. To instill doctrine into one. Okay? And so we see Jesus shifting back and forth. And not only Jesus, but when we go into the book of Acts, I would challenge you to focus in on those two words, and you will see that sometimes they're preaching and sometimes they're teaching. You're going, well, what's all this about? It's real simple. We always need to hear the gospel, yes? Can we say amen to that? We always do. But oftentimes, preaching tends to have a connotation towards the unsaved, where teaching has a connotation towards the saved. Because teaching means to instill doctrine into one, oneself or into a person. Where, where preaching has to do with always sharing the gospel. Now, now somebody who's well-skilled is going to be able to do both of those things. Sometimes you're going to find, and some of you might listen to some of the greats out there, like uh, John MacArthur. I, I, I like MacArthur. I don't constantly listen to MacArthur because he's so apologetic. I have found in my own life, and I'm not putting him down. So if you're a MacArthur fan, praise God, I, I, I like him. But if I listen to too much apologetic teaching... Okay, that means to defend the faith. Eventually what happens to me is I become very judgmental. And I just want to throw that out there. I learned that the hard way because I thought at one time in my walk with the Lord, I thought I was a prophet. Now, that's funny. You're supposed to laugh. You know, I was Jeremiah, right? I'm going to go around and, yeah, anyway. So, so, <laughs> so, so anyway, the interesting thing is, is that Jesus was preaching the kingdom of God. He was preaching the kingdom of God, and as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, what is the kingdom of God? Because we see the kingdom of God being talked about over and over throughout the Gospels, right? In fact, in Luke, it is, it is talked about 40 times, okay? But we need to ask ourselves the question, because we have to understand the culture, right? So we need to ask ourselves the question, what did the first century Jews believe that cog, which that's what scholars abbreviate the kingdom of God, cog, anyway, that the kingdom of God was. They had a very specific definition of what the kingdom of God was. The average Galilean would say it is something to do with God overthrowing the Romans. Rome ruled during this time and oppressed the Jewish people. The Jewish people hated the Romans and were longing for the day when Rome would be vanquished and God would restore Israel to their place of prominence in the world. 
So for the Jews, the kingdom of God actually was a political term. Okay? It was a political term. But to Jesus, but to Jesus, it was a spiritual term. Jesus had an expansive and multi-dimensional view of the kingdom of God. It was not about conquering Rome through military power. Let me repeat that. It was not about conquering Rome through military power, but it was about the conquest of the human heart through the power of the gospel. That is the kingdom of God. One scholar put it like this, the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule. I don't have enough time to continue on to talk about the kingdom of God, but I would, I would take time out and I would encourage you to study out the kingdom of God because oftentimes when we look at the kingdom of God in the context of scripture, we take it for the same thing every time we read it. And, 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 and if you begin to understand the kingdom of God, the scriptures will become, they come alive. I would love to actually take time out. I will let you know this about the kingdom of God, though. I want to throw in, you know, that seminary experience on you real quick. And I'm just laughing. I'm just laughing. I have to because the cost was so much. But Bible, it was, seriously. Bible scholars refer to, so, so you have some people who believe the kingdom of God is here. It's all here. It's in its fullness. Would you guys agree with that? Okay, just checking. We know that Jesus, just checking. We know that Jesus says, yes, the kingdom of God is within you. It's about you, right? But we also know that Jesus talks about that it is yet to come. And what this is called by Bible scholars is an inaugurated eschatology, which very simply, it's very simple to understand and it's very biblical. It means that the kingdom of God is both now and yet to come. It is here and now, but it is yet to come. And so when you're looking at the kingdom of God in the scripture, take time out to find out where, where it's at, okay? But always remember that the kingdom of God has to do with the human of heart, all right? It's spiritual, it's spiritual. Going back to the text, something else that was interesting that really stuck out to me, and some of you Bible scholars might already know this, is that the Lake Gennesaret is, 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 is a very large body of water. In fact, it's 15 miles long and 7 miles wide. And what's interesting, it's actually shaped like a harp. And so when we read the Gospels or, or we study even into the Old Testament, we read about all these bodies of water, right? Well, what's intriguing about Lake Gennesaret, it's also referred to as the Sea of Galilee. It's also referred to as the Sea of Tiberias. It's actually in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, by the way, it's referred to as Kinneroth. Kinneroth. And actually, Kinneroth in the Hebrew language actually means harp, which is intriguing because it's shaped like a harp. Now, you're going, why, are all there, why, are, why is this one body of water named all these different, different names? Well, it's real simple. You have villages that surround this large body of water, and each village would name it oftentimes after its own village. So Kinneroth actually later on became Gennesaret, which is intriguing. So there, there was a change in names as time went on, right? Uh, <clears throat> so the sea, sea of Galilee and water... 
actually acts like a natural amplifier, right? So we have this right here on my face, or these, right? Or we have all this technology. Well, the technology of Jesus' day was water, and oftentimes we know that he taught in water. But I want to share a little bit of a story. I heard of a pastor visiting Israel with a group from his church, and they were at the Sea of Galilee. The pastor and his brother got in a boat and were about 100 feet from shore talking in a boat about what they were going to do the rest of the day. When they got back into the, to the shore, other members in the group asked them if they were going to a certain event next. He responded, how did you know we were talking about that? They responded, we heard you talking all the way out in the sea. And so this pastor says, the moral of the story is never gossip in Galilee. <laughs> I had to borrow that one. That's a good one. You guys are too serious. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, we're moving on to verse 2, and it says, and, 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 and saw, verse 2, and saw two boats standing by the lake. So there was two boats, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. When, when I studied out fishing, and, and I've heard some scholars talk about fishing, that oftentimes in Jesus' day it was nets. If you really dig into the core of fishing back then, and actually there, there was three ways that they fished. Primarily it was nets. There were small nets. If you spend time looking up net or nets in the Greek, you will find there's small ones and there's large ones, by the way. Okay, but they also fix, fished with hooks, just like us. That was more of offshore fishing, right? Well, they didn't have cranks then, but anyway. But they also fished another way. And I, I discovered this actually just this morning and that actually they actually fished by spear. And for those in here that might be wondering where I found that text, it's actually in Job chapter 41, verse 7. That's intriguing to me because we have certain fishermen today that are fishing by spear sometimes, right, to get those big catfish, I guess. Anyway, they were washing their nets. And so we have to actually ask ourselves, why were they washing their nets? Well, if, if you didn't wash your, your net, it would actually rot, okay? It would, it would get bad. And, 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 and the intriguing thing is, is they actually washed their nets, but yet they did not catch anything. So why would they be washing their nets? Because they did not catch anything, right? That's intriguing to me. Fishermen of Galilee would fish at night when schools of fish work their way towards shore to feed on swarms of minnows in the shallower, warmer waters. They knew that you did not fish during the day in the deep. These fishermen would go out, and as the fish would come in to get the minnows, guess what would happen? They would wind up in the nets, right? They would wind up in the nets. What's intriguing also to me is why did, why did the Lord choose fishermen? I have to ask questions. So, so by the way, because I can't be here for, for the Bible study classes that are coming up, I want to throw in my, my two cents. In fact, it's only three words. You ready? It's a great way to study. I teach this out at the prison. First, okay, you have observation. Second, you have interpretation. And third, you have application. So when I read the text and I see the fishermen, I start to begin, I, begin I, I observe the text and I start thinking, Lord, why, why did you choose fishermen? 
Well, I'm sure many of us in this room could throw a lot of great answers, and in fact, they would be right answers, right, out. But let me just throw a few. So fishermen have needed qualities. Watchfulness, observation, patience, earnestness, perseverance, readiness, strength, power, long-suffering. Fishermen do not give up. They're persistent. They do not give up. And it would make sense that our Lord would choose people like that, right? Anybody in here a quitter? You know, don't put your hand up. Don't do it. Don't do it. I personally struggled with that for years. That was something that I had to overcome. Um, when the going got tough, I quit. You know, I, I didn't have the, the, that perseverance that, that is taught in the scriptures. When we also talk about fishing, I want you to know that Josephus actually wrote that there were about 330 fishing boats at any given time on the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret. There were 16 different ports on the Sea of Galilee. It was a thriving, thriving industry. So what's interesting about this is some scholars actually say that this is the first miracle in Luke because you have fishermen telling the truth. I borrowed that. That's not me because I'm not a fisherman, so I'm just letting you know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. I'm trying to break the silence out there. <laughs> so anyway, when I'm looking at this, they were washing their nets, but they had caught nothing. Let me move down. Then he got into one of the boats, verse 3, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from land. He sat down and taught the multitude. And in, in, in verse 5, and, I, and I'm going to go back and forth. In verse 5, it says, Master, we have toiled all night and we caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And this is just a little bit more serious, guys. The, the question is, is why were they washing their nets? Now, I understand that the water's, you know, it's contaminated, right? But, but they were washing their nets because what ends up happening is, is when their nets, they're moving and they're out, they're actually picking up fish oil and fish scales and fish, you know what I mean. Anyway, and so, so they're washing the nets. But one pastor, this is another pastor who went over there, he was on the Sea of Galilee, and he noticed that there was actually a fisherman washing his net. And so he went up to him, and he dialogued with him regarding, you know, washing the nets, and he explained to them, this is why we wash but why do you really wash them when you guys haven't caught nothing? And this is what he said. He said, habit. He said, we do it out of habit. We do it out of habit. And also, when you think about fish, fish are pretty smart because they hang out in schools. <laughs> anyway, anyway, what, what, here's where I'm going with this. They had a habit in their life. They had a habit in their life. You know, many of us sitting in this room have habits in our life. We have habits and we have hang-ups. And they're actually not necessarily bad or evil in themselves, but those very habits and hang-ups in our lives are actually stopping us from really walking out our faith. They're stopping us from actually being in the Word of God. I'll give you a perfect example in my own life in, in, 
is, is that, you know, sometimes, actually it's been like three or four months ago, I could find myself reading the newspaper, and I'm, by the way, this is personal conviction. I'm not saying don't read the newspaper. But what I find myself reading is a bunch of negativity, and to be quite honest with you, I'm negative enough. I don't need that in my life. I was not renewing my mind by reading the newspaper. And so the Holy Spirit began to convict me to put down that newspaper because what was happening is I, I was getting home after work and I was heading even, even into the bed with, I don't have my cell phone on, and I'm reading newspapers when I need to be studying the Word of God. So my question to you folks is, what are your habits and your hangups? Because we all have them. And the Lord is trying to get through to us and He's trying to say, hey, I want you to stop that. And by the way, it doesn't mean it's bad. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't mean it's bad. But when the Lord has told you to give something up or give me give something up, I need to give that up. Okay? And we all have them. We all have them. One pastor actually said in his message, he said, one habit could be this. Now, remember, we're talking about nets. So one pastor said, maybe it's Netflix. That same pastor said, maybe it's the internet. Oh, here's another one. Or how about that network of friends that aren't so healthy? Okay? And by the way, when we talk about the internet, we have to realize that, that remember when it first started, it used to be called the World Wide Web. Why do, why do spiders spin webs? Well, they sleep on them, but they, they do it so they can catch their prey. Okay? So we know that they're, the fish are smart. Here's one I want to throw out at you. Is we have these routines and habits that God wants us to step out. And he wants us to spend time with him. In his word. One of the things that I do, and I'll just throw it out there, is, is, is if, depending upon if I'm really tired, man, I will just put my headset on and I will listen. I will worship. I will listen to sermons. I will, I will have somebody read the Bible to me. We are so blessed today because of the technology. Okay? Let me just throw a couple things out at you. We all admire King David and Joshua and Paul, right? We admire them all. We admire Peter. We admire the Enoch's, the Elijah's of the Bible. But the question we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to do what they did to find what they found? Are we willing to do what they did to find what they found? Okay? I know in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And there might be somebody in here today that, that is vacillating, okay? That you, you, you got one foot in and one foot out. And the Lord is saying, come, just sell out. Just sell out. Joshua 1.8 says this, it says, This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then, this is, con- this is a condition. The Lord is saying, listen, if you do this, this is, this is the promise I'm giving you. For then, you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. That's a promise from our Lord. That's a promise. Psalm 63, 6 in the NIV, it says, 
On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Psalm 4.4 in the New Living Translation actually says this, don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit, fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. See, when we get our, in our habits, the next thing we know is that we're washing empty nets. We're washing empty nets. We're catching nothing night after night after night. When I'm talking about catching, I'm not talking about fish. I'm talking, talking about spending time with the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer, in study, in praying, husbands, with your wives, fathers with your children, mothers with your children, brothers and sisters with one another. Because let's face the facts, there's times in our lives that we hit those difficult seasons of life and it's extremely difficult to pick up the word of God and pray. Can anybody say amen to that? Then can I ask you a question? Why don't we call out to our brothers and sisters during those times? Why don't we call out during those times? That's why I pray for humility. Because I too don't have that figured out. I don't have that figured out. But I know that when I don't cry out to my brothers and sisters in those times, it's because of pride. I'm not saying that to you, I'm saying it to myself. It's because of pride in my life. And sometimes, especially in the church house, we're so cons- we get overly concerned about what everybody's going to think about us. And when we go there, family, hear me out, the focus ain't Jesus no more. It's me. It's me. That's not what the Lord wants from us. He wants us to meditate in the word of God day and night, for then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have great success. So we talk about admiring the greats of the Bible But we got to be willing to do what the greats did. In verse 3, it says, Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes. There's that word taught. Taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Jesus specifically asked Peter to push the boat out from shore. He gave Peter responsibility. The Lord Jesus gives us responsibility, not only in our families, but in the community and here in the church. And I believe this wholeheartedly about Pete. I believe Pete struggled with sitting still, 
He, was, he had no filter, right? We know that. And by the way, if you get into the Easton's Bible Dictionary and you, and you look up Peter, in fact, I would challenge you to, you will find out there's, there's a lot of information that talks about the Galileans. And you will find that they're, they're very, they come across very harsh. They were always abrupt. They're an impulsive people. So it's in the culture. It's not just Peter. It's the Galileans as a whole. Okay? I can say that about the Polish culture a little bit. Peter struggled with sitting still and paying attention. He struggled with reacting instead of responding. He was an activist and he was a mover. Jesus said, Peter, this is what I think happened. I need you right next to me so you don't wander off and you can hear every word I have to say because I have a valuable lesson for you. That's why Jesus gave him a responsibility. Why? Well, let us think about our roles in our own families are better off. Let's think about our roles here in the church. Some of us have questioned, why am I doing this? And my question to you would be, why not? Maybe there's a valuable lesson our Lord and Savior is trying to teach you in the midst of you serving. And sometimes serving gets very taxing. But do you know what? The more you serve, the less you will swerve. Hear me out. Let me say it again. The more you serve in the church, the less you will swerve. It is a fact. It is a fact. Why am I stuck with teaching Sunday school? Why am I stuck with running a choir? Why am I stuck with being on the worship team? Or why am I stuck with picking up after everybody? Right? It's simple, folks. Jesus has something to say to us, and he wants to teach us a lesson during those times. Plus, much of the time, it's those very things that we complain about that keep us in the boat with Jesus. That keep us in the boat with Jesus. So we see Jesus, he gave a public sermon, and now he's shifting to a private sermon with Peter. J. Vernon McGee says this, every pulpit is a fishing boat, a place to give out the word of God and attempt to catch fish. Once again, let us notice that Jesus was teaching here. He was teaching. Verse 5, so he told him to launch out into the deep, Right? Verse 5, but Simon answered and said him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. There's a word there that I think that we cannot neglect, and that is this. There's a few, it's, it's, a, it's a combination. It says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Nevertheless, at thy word must be the motto of all disciples of Jesus Christ. It must be the motto. This is the essence of being a disciple of Jesus. It means going where Jesus tells you to go. It means going when he tells you to go. It means launching out into the deep and casting the net when everybody else is asking you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why would you say yes to that situation? Why are you going there? The only reason why Peter did this was because Jesus said so. It is only after we take these leaps of faith that we can come to understand what God was up to all along. Augustine said this, Understanding is the reward of faith. 
Therefore, seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. See, the understanding might come immediately, or it may not come into heaven. And by the way, I so often get it backwards. I'm like, please, give me understanding, Lord, and and then I'll do it. I'll do it, right? By the way, when I go there, is that actually faith? Many of us, we just do the things that make sense in the moment, but faith is not like that. Faith is going out into the deep during the day when you have been out all night fishing and have caught nothing. Faith is saying, I will trust you and take this first step. Then, when you look back, then understanding sometimes comes. And by the way, the Word of God says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. Trust faith. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps. And by the way, if you look at verse 1 and you look at verse 5, there's a big difference. They were hearing the word, but in verse 5, guess what? Peter was doing the word. We know that the book of James actually says that, but be doers of the word, not just hearers only, deceiving yourself. Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. Interesting enough that Peter stepped out in faith through the net again. And you know what he did? He dined. He caught a bunch of fish. Jesus came into him. There was a change that happened. So my question is, is have you let down those things that are holding you back from serving Jesus with all your heart? 5, 6 goes on, it says, And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets were breaking. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He knew he was in the presence of deity. See, God's omnipotence and his omniscience was at work in this because the night before Jesus, our Lord and Savior, said, fish, don't go in that net. When he went out there, Jesus said, listen, fish, go in the net. He is God. He is the creator of all things. We see Jesus actually, or not Jesus, but Peter becoming this broken man, right? And you, and you, you have to ask questions as to why so much fish? Why so much fish? Well, we know that Jesus is generous. We get that, right? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. But I also believe there was so many fish because it was prophetic. It was prophetic because later on in Acts 2.41 It says this, those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 were added to the church. What he was saying is, listen, Pete, if you think this fish, I'm getting ready to make you a fish or a man. And by the way, the word catch means to catch alive. Okay? By the way, that context later on, let let me read on. It says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so it were with James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all, and they followed him. We know that there was also 5,000 men caught in Acts 
4-4, by the way. Those are just a few sites. So they did become fishers of men. What's intriguing to me, if you look, look up that, that phrase in the Greek language, the phrase is only used one other time, and it's actually, is, it's actually in the book of Timothy where it talks how Satan ensnares men. It's the same construction in the Greek. But see, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We're called to catch men alive. So I have a few questions, and I'm going to close. What deep waters is he calling you to today? What shore is he telling you to let go of? What habit is he sharing with all of us that he wants us to quit? Or here's one for you. What are you hooked on? What are you hooked on? Or how about this one? What net is he telling you to cast one more time? Maybe somebody has hurt you and you have cut them off and he is saying, cast the net of forgiveness again. Or maybe you have been offended and he is telling you to cast your net on the altar and go to that brother or sister and make it right. Or maybe he's, he's telling you to cast the net. How about in our giving? We have all these nets and the Lord is speaking. What is he telling us to do? What is he telling us to do? I close with this one thought, and I have to pray I'm out of time. Are you hooked on Jesus? Are you really hooked on Jesus? Because we can come to church week after week after week and not be truly hooked. That's what this message is about. Are you hooked? Let us close in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this, for this time, Father God. Lord, I ask God that the, the convictions, Lord, that, that have come, not only to myself, but my brothers and sisters, that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit to overcome those things, those habits, those hang-ups, Father. That you would encourage us and empower us to cast that net one last time, Father God. That, God, you would help us to overcome those things in our life that hinder our relationship with you. Lord Jesus, we ask that you come quickly. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you.